0: This is going to be a different episode of this show. There will be no guest, and we will have a singular focus. When we do touch on our normal subject matter, breaking down modern politics, it will be because that specific spoke connects to one central hub. Police brutality, specifically toward Black Americans. While politics, politicians, and their reactions currently obviously play a role in this I I want to focus specifically on the role of police departments in this episode because police departments outlive politicians these are organizations that can afford to hibernate a little bit the mood will change people will calm down and yet these problems persist. They persist through turnovers of party. They persist, although we feel like we've come to a fork in the road where things have to be different. We have worked hard to build a community of listeners on this podcast that come from all elements of our political spectrum. And I believe that the problems we're going to lay out during this episode affect everybody. And so it's with that in mind that we go forward. This is, of course, a reaction to the murder of George Floyd and the reaction that we have seen since then. Our country is on fire. Protests line the streets, often accompanied by looting. Americans are sad. Americans are scared and Americans are angry. From a personal perspective, I've seen all three emotions here in Oakland. Protesters demonstrating by the thousands, jagged glass hanging from storefronts of restaurants, shops, and bars, already devastated by COVID and often owned by black Americans, now shattered. Police already being protested for their violent behavior, utilizing tear gas and rubber bullets on their fellow citizens. This is a powder keg. It has exploded. Reasonable minds can disagree on how much of our lockdown and economic struggles have amplified these demonstrations, but a few things are indisputable. The video showing the death of George Floyd is as comprehensive as it is horrific. It is long, it is agonizing, it is a murder it should not happen in police custody and certainly should not have happened to somebody on such a flimsy justification as a phony bill and just to give you context on how uniform of a perception of that video that description is here is rush limbaugh describing what should happen to those police officers.
1: Right. So on your end, what are some things that you feel like can be done? I think that cops
0: should be charged with first degree murder. And Absolutely. I think that the guys standing around ought to be charged, the other cops that were standing around. I think it's it's time to end this. The, 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 look, We'll get more into Rush in a second. The other thing that we know for sure is that while the death is something that we have seen before, the reaction is far greater than anything we have seen from a situation like this. Not only has there been an outpouring of physical demonstrations in Minneapolis where it happened, and major cities that often demonstrate during national issues like New York, Los Angeles, the Bay Area, but smaller cities, cities with less than 10% black residency, Salt Lake City, Bismarck, Portland, Maine, Corporations and brands ranging from Marvel, Disney, Star Wars, Nike, Twitter, Citigroup, and Garfield. Yes, Garfield. Have posted in their own PR-approved ways that black lives matter. In short, there is an undeniable incitement and unseen support. So the question remains. What happens next? My name is Justin Robert Young. In this episode of Politics, 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 we will take a look at exactly that. We will find out how those issues connect to a possible vice presidential pick for Joe Biden and much more. Before we go any further, news has broken on this particular case. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison has upgraded charges against the officer who kneeled on George Floyd's neck. He is now charged with second-degree murder. The three other officers that all watched as Floyd died have now also been charged for the first time. They have been charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder while committing a felony and with aiding and abetting a second-degree manslaughter with culpable negligence. A second-degree murder charge carries with it 40 years maximum sentence. Aiding and abetting also contains 40 years possible maximum sentence. A Floyd family attorney said the following, These officers knew they could act with impunity given the Minneapolis Police Department's widespread and prolonged pattern of practice of violating people's constitutional rights. Therefore, we also demand permanent, transparent police accountability at all levels, at all times. In the days since the Floyd murder, a host of demands have been made to cement some progress from this pain. They've ranged from banning the use of chokeholds and knee restraining, defunding of police departments on a similar level to other city services during budget cuts, and an increase in both proper training and body cameras. I believe the motives for all of these are pure, and as I am a tourist to this research, I will assume that they are all viable enough to implement and advocate for. You know, when I went into this segment, there's just one part of this process that has bothered me. And not just because I've heard it uh, dozens, if not hundreds of times, but because I have both thought and said it. Let me see if you've heard it before. The problem here is just a few bad apples. How can a profession like a police officer not contain men and women of good Moral character this is obviously a position that is not held by many and in my personal anecdotal opinion although I would suspect that it's probably common amongst many of you listening these are usually the kinds of lines in which conversations about policing can break down but why? Why is there such a disparity in how we think about these things and the past? And more to the point, why are we on the same page now? In a word, accountability. View that video and you have no doubt what happened to George Floyd and the role the officer played in it. And there we go. Some might think we got the bad apple. Shame the man died, but now the bad guys caught time to go about our business. And yet that idea, the more you look into it, is based on a lie. There are many, 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 many more bad apples. We just don't hear about them. The rot is hidden under several Layers of secrecy. According to a WNYC investigation in 2015, there are 23 states where records on police misconduct are simply unavailable. A cop can commit a crime, violate the rights of a citizen, or otherwise do something that can ruin the life of an innocent person. And you legally cannot search for it. Among those states, California, New York, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C. And I don't need to remind many of you that Los Angeles and New York City are the two largest police departments in the country. In 15 states, these records are severely limited, often to only listing suspensions or terminations which are mediated and handed out within The department, this includes Texas, Massachusetts, and Minnesota, where the Floyd death took place. That leaves, out of 50, only 12 states where you can actually search records for police misconduct. And even then there are further veils including negotiated clauses in police union contracts that purge misconduct records at a regularly stated interval. All of this creates not only a false sense of a job well done from the police to communities for which it does not regularly affect, it also, in my opinion, is a large part of why routinely Malicious and sloppy policing is hidden from the public eye, and the most egregious examples look like outliers and not a consistent pattern of behavior. While I wholeheartedly encourage anyone hearing this to push for accountability in your local, state, and county departments that you are funding to protect and serve you, there is one other issue that I believe can garner the broadest public support, and it is an end to qualified immunity. Listeners, among the proposals that I researched for this episode, none I found, to be more reviled across the entire political spectrum than qualified immunity. So it's the reason why I'm going to spend a little bit more time on it right now. I do believe that building the broadest possible consensus to cement progress here is important. And from the Jacobin to the Cato Institute, there is support to end this practice as unlawful. In short, you want to know why police officers can often feel as if they are above the law? Because as of right now, they are. Unlawful Shield, a site dedicated to abolishing qualified immunity, describes it thusly. Qualified immunity is a judicial doctrine developed by the Supreme Court in the late 1960s, which shields state actors from liability for their misconduct, even when they break the law. Our primary federal civil rights statute, generally called Section 1983 after its place in the U.S. Code, says that any state actor who violates someone's constitutional rights quote, shall be liable end quote, to the party injured. But under the doctrine of qualified immunity, the court has held that such defendants can't be sued unless they have also violated, quote, clearly established law, end quote. In other words, it is entirely possible and indeed quite common courts to hold that government agents did indeed violate someone's rights, but that the illegality of their conduct wasn't sufficiently obvious for them to be held liable to the victim of their misconduct. Let's put that in even plainer terms. You can't sue a cop even if they indeed violated your constitutional rights. Unless there is another case in which a cop violated somebody else's rights in a similar way to what you are alleging. This is vile. This not only creates a chilling effect in terms of the liability of citizens being able to sue cops, it creates a chilling effect on the coverage of cops. It creates a chilling effect on our idea of policing. Beyond that, you can only imagine the effect it has on police officers. If you have no fear of the law, if you have a department and a union that will protect you, if you have a populace barred from searching and reading about your misdeeds. I could certainly imagine how it's easy to become cavalier in how you do that job, to let it become a venue for your personal beliefs, angers, and vendettas. As of now, the public being served by a police department doesn't know how that police department is doing. And officers, like the one who now faces a murder charge, are allowed to face complaint after complaint and still keep his job. That job, as an authority with lethal capabilities that he cannot be held accountable for. If you find yourself in an internal or external conversation wherein the question is asked, what can I do? Then the answer that I am going to use for that is accountability, searchable records, permanent databases for infractions by officers, and an abolishment of qualified immunity. Let me reiterate, these are not the only remedies. They are only the ones that I found to have, across all political landscapes, the most broad support. And if we're looking to get something done now, then accountability offers the rarest gift to a politician the invisible arm outstretched to the politician that wants to take the step into the unknown. The proof that this is a situation so nasty and these solutions are so broadly popular that they can't lose if they back them. Until we have accountability... We will never know who our good apples are. Until we have accountability, we don't know if we have good cops. Good throws we've seen all preseason. Pressure again. Kaepernick is still on his feet. Davis, a juggle and a touchdown. Obviously, this is an extraordinarily weighty episode and it is designed as such, but there is a moment that I do want to bring to your attention, and that is the clip that we played earlier with Rush Limbaugh. Savvy. Hip-hop morning radio listeners will hear the voice at the beginning of that clip as Angela Yee from The Breakfast Club. That's because Rush Limbaugh sat down with The Breakfast Club, a.k.a. Yee, DJ Envy, and Charlemagne the God, to have a 30-minute conversation. It's worth listening specifically if you have any idea how crazy of a mismatch that is in terms of tones and political styles. But... There was one moment that I thought was interesting. Rush Limbaugh is in failing health. And although he still dominates radio from his perch on noon to three on conservative radio stations across the country. Who knows how long he will do it. But he still got his moves. He still got some of his moves. This is a conversation asked to him by DJ Envy. Specifically about whether or not he regrets the commentary that he participated, if not led, in criticizing Colin Kaepernick. And you were very opinionated about Colin Kaepernick and he was peacefully protesting, right? And now people are saying, no, they're not peacefully protesting. This is the same thing Colin Kaepernick was kneeling for, that the world was so upset about. And the world said he's taking it too far and he doesn't know what he's talking about. This is exactly the reason why he was kneeling and protesting. The fact that an unarmed African-American man was doing nothing, they still don't even know if he had a a fake $10 or $20 bill or not. And and that man kneeled on George Floyd for damn near nine minutes and killed that man, murdered that man, and looked at us like, yeah, I'm doing it, and what? I... You guys, I'm trying to tell you, I'm all with you. I'm Mm -hmm. a thousand percent with you on this This is why I wanted to talk to you, because I know that that there are, you know, we all have uh, preconceptions that we live under and biases that we live under. And I wanted to reach out to you guys specifically. You were you were the ones that I was told to speak to. That that this no, is uh, intolerable. No, I'm I'm happy to have the conversation. I'm now you might that. have missed it. You might have missed it there. But I want you to pay attention because what we just saw is a Kaepernick-esque evasion of the oncoming question. I thought that was a tremendously fair question from DJ Envy. And there's Raj Limbaugh. Dipping, diving, dropping his shoulder, scrambling out of the pocket so he could avoid the hit. Even Colin would be proud. Here's another big third down, third and five. Kaepernick keeping it again, and he's on his way! Kaepernick! You want to ask me again? (laughs) Touchdown, 49ers! You want to ask
1: that question again? What we have to do, if we have any chance of healing the ghosts of the past, the ghosts that have been hovering over America for since the beginning, and that ghost is racism then we have got to stay focused on what us brought, what brought us here in the first place. We can talk about the looting, we can talk about the rioting, we can talk about the destruction, but why are we at this point? We're at this point because we say the preservation of human life is our top priority. Should be the top priority for the community, certainly should be the top priority for the police departments across this nation. And what we saw, was a man who had life snuffed out of him right before our very eyes. It was brutal, it was senseless, and we've got to deal with that. That's why we're here.
0: And now our latest installment in our vetting vice presidential possibilities for Joe Biden, let's vet Val Deming. Val is a 63-year-old woman born in Jacksonville, Florida. She married Jerry Demings after meeting on the Orlando Police Force. They have three kids and are still married. She attended, previous to that, Florida State University and Webster University. She joined the Orlando Police Department in 1983 and became the first female uh, police chief in OPD history in 2007. Now, this is going to get into... Some of the reason why I wanted to include this on this episode. This is really the most direct connection to modern politics that we have on this episode, and, and here's why. The Orlando Police Department did not have a sterling reputation under her leadership. Indeed, from 2010 to 2014, the department paid out more than $3.3 million in damages following at least 47 lawsuits alleging false arrest, excessive force, and other complaints Against the department's officers, according to WFTV. Now, qualify those figures into what I just told you before about how impossible it is to sue the police department $3.3 million in damages while it's impossible to sue them. A 2008 investigation into the Orlando Police Department showed a, a department that had little discipline for uh, from internal affairs with several officers lying in their statements only to be contradicted by video and still getting a slap on the wrist. In one case, an off-duty officer pushed a woman down a flight of stairs at a nightclub owned by Paris Hilton. Yes, at the height of Paris Hilton mania and the aughts, there was a Paris Hilton owned and themed nightclub in downtown Orlando. The officer filed a police report saying that the woman spit in his face and then intentionally belly flopped on the floor. The video showed not that. Indeed, he pushed her down the stairs, and that was very clear with surveillance. Uh, The officer in question was given the punishment of two vacation days lost, Chief Demings cut it down to one. The same officer that pushed her went on to have a complaint uh, filed for not dusting for prints. Another complaint for leaving two service weapons in his car, which was then lit on fire, damaging the weapons and totaling the car. And leaving the following message on a woman's phone in February of 2008. You fuck lesbian bitch. You better call this phone back. I swear to fucking God, if I ever fucking see you, you're going to get the biggest fucking smack of your life. The biggest fucking smack. Keep fucking with me. You won't think I'm playing. Prepare yourself, bitch. Prepare your fucking self. In 2009, Demings herself was cited for leaving her service weapon in her car by Internal Affairs. Somebody opened the unlocked door of the squad car that she left it in and stole the duffel bag containing the weapon. I don't know if this was just like a known thing in Orlando that nobody, no cops locked their doors, or it was hard to lock the doors, but it, it, it appears as if a lot of people were testing door locks on cop cars and uh, trying to steal stuff out of them. Demings retired from the Orlando Police Department in 2011 at the age of 54 in 2012. She won the Democratic nomination for the 10th Congressional District in Florida, covering West Orlando and Disney World, and she lost to her Republican challenger there. In 2014, she declined a chance to run again for a seat, uh, for that seat, instead focusing on the mayor of Orange County, which includes the Orlando metro area, although she dropped out before Election Day. In 2016, she ran for the 10th district seat again and won and then won re-election in 2018. She was selected as one of the impeachment managers to make the case against Donald Trump at the end of last year and beginning of this year. She has, in recent days, gone in front of the cameras in wake of the George Floyd murder, discussing how police departments can be reformed. Let's totally ban
1: neck restraints. Mm -hmm. We know that many police departments have disbanded them, but. Let's totally ban net restraints. We can do that today. And if officers or decide that they don't want to follow the policies or the rules, then fire them.
0: So here are the results of the unofficial public vetting of Val Demings. Pros. Black woman, no significant D.C. votes to clean up. Good relationship with House leadership. This can actually be something that uh, Biden really, really values. Remember, Biden valued himself as vice president because he was able to do legislative dirty work that Obama didn't want to do. Maybe he values somebody that has a good relationship with Nancy Pelosi. Demings is not as old as Elizabeth Warren, which for a president that's going to have age concerns going in if he wins. That's a plus. And can be a voice on police reform should Biden seek to make that part of his campaign. So if he wants to go in a direction, if he feels that this moment in time is important enough that he is going to make systemic police reform, however he wants to do it from a federal level, as part of the campaign, well, then he can have Val Demings out on the trail, being specific, authoritative, and combative with the Trump ticket. Cons. Well, she's not as road tested in big league politics as some of the uh, some of the other candidates. You know, Amy Klobuchar, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Gretchen Whitmer, Kamala Harris. They've all been on national television a lot. They've had a lot of opportunities to screw up. Some of them have. And now they know the lessons going forward. Val Demings has not had that kind of flight time. If she's not as old as Warren, she's not as young as Kamala Harris either. Again, these are the things you got to think about. She does have less brand name value. You know, you might think if if you want a tough on crime black woman, Kamala Harris is going to be a lot more famous. If that's what you're looking for. And this is really the big thing. And specifically on this episode, as we are talking about police departments. Val Demings is going to bear the brunt of every ugly action from every cop on the Orlando Police Department During her tenure, it will all, all be put out into the public question in the past would be, all right, well, then you can say, you know, leadership is leadership. Are we in a different political reality as we get closer to November? It's something that the Biden ticket is going to have to think about. And that will bring us to the end of this episode of the program. I would like to thank everybody who makes this podcast and podcasts like these possible uh, through direct funding at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Out of respect for the subject matter, I'm going to read the names of people who have pledged at levels where that is a reward at the end of this episode. But... As we leave, I I just want to leave you with this. Empathy to me is a guiding light. The more empathetic I become in my life, the better person I've become. The more I've tried to model the behavior of somebody else in my own head, specifically when I find it strange or wrong, The more I found the humanity in it, whether or not I agree with it, whether or not I think it's the smartest way to go, at least I can understand its origins. In this moment, we have an opportunity to reshape our very society. We have an opportunity for police officers to be better. We have the ability for them to gain more respect. We have the ability to have those that don't deserve that mantle to be drummed out. I've long said on this podcast and and others that my attitude toward police officers is maximum respect to maximum accountability. Maximum respect because when you walk out of the door as a police officer, you don't know if you're going to walk back. But maximum accountability, because if you kill somebody, you're allowed to go back home. What I didn't realize until this situation is how little accountability there was. We might not be able to legislate racism out of the hearts of so many Americans. And many, one can only assume, In the police force. But we can hold their crimes. More accountable. We can have. Millions of other tremors. Before we create. The massive fault lines. That we are suffering with right now. Thank you to everybody. Who's taken the time to listen to this program. We will be back. To our regular format. On Friday. Until then. Good night. A thank you to Adam, Andrew, Archie, Brad, Brian, Chad, Kurt, Daily Tech News Show, Darren, DL, D Laser, Emily, Frozen, Glenn, IPMP, Jim, Jamilius, Jonathan, Lindsay, Logan, MacBook, Mike, Miranda, Nicholas, Nick, Nomadic, Olin, Paul, Peter, Richard, Robert, Stephen, Jen, Thor, and Zach. The preceding program was brought to you by Andy Beach, Paul Boyer, Will Harris, and The Lonely Now. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>